Welcome to IT Origins, an interview series from Gestalt IT. Each Thursday, we talk to IT entrepreneurs, engineers, and innovators about how they got their start in the world of technology. Today, we had the good fortune of interviewing Pumla Schmidt, a senior cloud ops advocate with Microsoft. It was a fascinating conversation, so let's jump right in. So Pumala, what's your IT origin story? How long have you been in the field and where did you get your start? Well, I started in 2004 uh, after I got divorced. Uh, it was pretty much a, I need to do something with my life because I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I had left uh, the fashion industry to take care of the kids and I was with my cousin. I'm like, I need to, you know, what do I want to do? I need to do something. I've got these two little kids. And she's like, well, you like computers a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. Uh, I always tinkered around with computers, uh, you know, and, and little mobile devices. So I signed up for some courses at the local community college and went for a two-year degree. And I finished it in a year. Ended up getting um, an internship at a local consulting firm as a network administrator, the most generic <laughs> um, <laughs> title you can get. That was my start. I remember starting there as the intern. I say that in quotes, intern. So my first day, I think I built like seven servers. And then the next day, they took me to a client and there was a, an exchange problem. And the next thing you know, it, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, running Exchange 2000 and 2003. And I'm like, wow, okay, I can do this. Uh, and, you know, I hadn't even finished school yet. So I was doing this internship plus trying to finish all the, the technical courses. But that, I mean, that's, that's pretty much how I started. And from then on, it was moving to different enterprises. I went to a, a healthcare company and then went to a global organization where I got my virtualization experience and the storage experience and then went back into healthcare just recently. And now I work at Microsoft, what the top five tech companies in the world. It's been a, quite a journey. So in that time, what's been the biggest change in IT since the start of the career? You know, have a, you know, a baker's dozen uh, years under your belt there. Um, I'm interested in the perspective. Well, cloud, I think, has been the biggest change. I mean, initially, there was talk of the cloud when I first started. I mean, it, it was the cloud has always sort of been there. You know, when you, when you look at Hotmail, gosh, I have a Hotmail account from 1997, 1998. <laughs> You know, that, that is technically cloud. But I, I guess from an enterprise uh, standpoint, you know, when I first started, th there was talk of it and then it grew and then it grew. And now it, it's cloud is here. And if you're not there, it's a matter of when are you going to shift your data to the cloud or all your data? Because most of it's probably there now without even thinking about it. I mean, if you're using any type of hosting services, that's cloud. And we're seeing more of it. I would say about three years ago was this huge shift of all these different SaaS offerings. And now, you know, it's a no-brainer, Salesforce. You know, it, it's, it's cloud, Office 365, it's cloud, Gmail. Would you say that that three-year, you know, ago point was kind of the, the tipping point for de facto uh, consideration of the cloud? Or, or when did you see that kind of go from the cloud being an option to, to being where everything has to go? So I think it really started around 2014 is when I really started noticing it in the enterprise. And then 2015 was like, okay, we really need to consider cloud for any new deployment. Between 2014 and 
2015, there was this weird shift of, we know it's here and we probably should embrace it. And it's just been this slow embrace. And, and this is from larger organizations where it takes a little bit of time to get things moving. And there are some organizations that probably did it quicker. But, you know, you have those organizations that are right in that sweet spot of maybe three or 4,000 to 15,000 users. You know, they're not quite large enough to be your 50,000 seat or 100,000 seat, but they're a little bit bigger than your, you know, 1,000, 2,000 seat. And they're right in that middle spot. And those are where that shift was like, we got to turn this around because Back then, I hate to say it's now because <laughs> I, I work for Microsoft, but I remember sitting in a meeting and one of the directors said, they just pretty much have us handcuffed. Pretty much all the good stuff that we want, you know, and all these products like Office 365, Office, you, you want the enhanced PowerPoint features, you want the enhanced Word or Excel, but it's not on the on-premises version. And, you know, you, you got to go Office 365 and it's like we were being handcuffed. Um, and you could say it with Salesforce as well and then ServiceNow and, and all these other offerings. And I think it was this realization that, okay, we have to embrace this. What what type of workloads can we put out there? It was almost like dipping dipping their toes in before diving uh, headfirst. And then there are some organizations that dove headfirst and, you know, they're they're doing well and some aren't and some have learned. Yeah, it's really interesting to see around that 2014, 2015 of, of how many people that, you know, went head first, maybe had to to pull back and reconsider, you know, doing some, you know, a more simplistic uh, lift and shift kind of uh, idea of, of just being in the cloud is a virtue in and of itself, as opposed to, like you were saying, optimizing workflows and, and finding ways to take advantage of the unique capabilities of the cloud versus, you know, uh, you know, your more fixed cost uh, infrastructure on prem. So uh, yeah, definitely very interesting times, and it's interesting how quickly the mindset has has changed uh, just in these these few intervening years. Yeah, and you know what? That's about the time when even I said, you know what? It's here. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. You know, and a lot of people were saying the same thing. It cloud is here, and when are you going to go? Is you know the question? It's not if. In a lot of Leaders were, you know, looking at how is the cloud going to save me money? Is is it going to bring me better efficiency, you know, from operational costs or, or capex? I mean, these are all the all these questions were, were coming down at about that time frame, and then that was like a big jump for Office 365 as well. I even thought to myself, like, okay, you know, every I don't say everybody's doing it, but it just seemed like it. So it, it was like, you know, kids. Oh, everybody's doing that and you think everybody's doing it, but they're not really doing it. They're just talking about doing it. But then it causes this reaction of like, oh, everybody's thinking about doing it or everybody's saying they're doing it, but they're not doing it. Then it forces everybody to think about doing it and planning it. It's it's like this vicious circle. But I think that trend of like, oh, so-and-so is doing it, but they weren't really doing it. But it caused this other company to think about doing it and plan. Somewhere there's a CTO, you know, yelling at a boardroom going, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I even said that once in a meeting. Yeah. If everybody jumped off a bridge. But it's true though. I think just the, the talk of it caused people to go, you know what? Maybe we should consider it. If so-and-so is doing it and they're a big company, why not us? And we're much smaller. All, all it takes is one or two conversations like that. And you start to think, hmm, OK, 
okay, this is, you know, this isn't too bad. If, if Coca-Cola can say they're going to be all cloud, why can't we? And we're a much smaller company. And it, those conversations happen and it starts the brain churning. And then obviously you're going to have the people that resist a little bit, but over time you realize that, okay, it's here. Let's move on. How do we transition to a cloud uh, hybrid type of scenario? All right. And along those lines, what is the current worst or perhaps most challenging trend in IT right now? I'm going to say the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things is challenging. I don't want to say it's worse, but it's a challenging one because we're all interconnected through all these devices in our home. But then we have the security thing, you know, this little thing about security, <laughs> um, privacy. To me, that's a concern because if you're connected and everything talks back to the mothership somewhere, where's our privacy at? Where's the security? You know, can, can we say that the TV isn't going to be spying on us? I don't know. Can, can you definitely say that it's not going to spy on us? Or your refrigerator. The fact that your refrigerator can tell you if you are low on milk is cool, but it's scary at the same time. So you have this Internet of Things, and if you apply that to an enterprise, that's a whole other ballgame because most enterprises have you know, some type of industry compliance regulation rule that they've got to follow. So putting those types of um, rules or policies in place on a, on a IOT device, that's challenging. And then how do we, how do we monitor that or safely deploy those types of devices, especially like let's, let's say healthcare where we've got HIPAA and a lot of privacy regulations so when you deploy, uh, you know, an IoT device in that type of industry, you've got to be very careful uh, that we're not releasing or exposing data that we shouldn't be. And then, you know, you come back to the consumer world, your TV could potentially be spying on you or your microwave at, at some point. I mean, all, all those things, when you think about it, it's so cool that we are connected, but then it's scary because we are connected. And are we securing these devices the way we should be? And, and do people actually really care? Because there's some that don't. And then there's some that are like, oh, you know, that, that's invasion of privacy. But now almost everything is connected. I mean, I don't think you can buy a TV that doesn't have some type of Internet connection available to it. I mean, your cable nowadays is connected. And to your point, it, it, I think it kind of mirrors a little bit of, of some of that same influence that the cloud discussion that we were just having, where there are a lot of people that may, may be not sure if uh, on a personal level or even on an enterprise level that they need these IoT sensors or, or smart speakers or whatever form, you know, the, these kind of embedded computers take. But then the, you know, kind of the, whether it's uh, in an industry or on an individual level, a little bit of, of peer pressure and a lack of choice because everything just has it integrated. And then eventually you just kind of go along with it without fully thinking out the implications. Yeah. I mean, look at the watch, the Apple watch. I, I have one and I, I absolutely love it. It's great. You know, it, it, it tracks my steps. It's also monitors my heart rate. That's freaking awesome. But at the same time, wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of data that we are exposing ourselves to and, and pretty much kind of giving away. 
it's here. How do we how do we deal with any of those challenges? I find very interesting. And on the other side of it, though, what is the current best trend in IT? Mm, best trend. I want to see the cloud. <laughs> I'm going to bring that. Not because I work for Microsoft and I'm in the Azure group, but the cloud. It makes you more mobile. The fact that I can do everything on my phone is awesome. I mean, when we were in school, can you imagine thinking, oh, my life is going to be dependent on this, you know, five and a half inch phone that I'm going to carry around all the time and and I can do my banking, shopping. I, you know, know when I need to pick up my kids. I can join a conference call then and I can work on the beach with my phone. And who, who would have thought 20 years ago that we would be in, in this uh, world where we're so mobile? And one of the reasons why is because of the cloud, you know, the ability to store data at the cloud. And then you're not attached to your desktop. You can take your laptop, but you can go from device to device. So, you know, when I've got stuff stored in iCloud, it's awesome. I can just move, you know, move around. And then the same thing with work, my email's in the cloud. So I can access it at home if I want to. But on my phone, I could be sitting on the beach having a pina colada. The, the ability that I'm able to get work done from, from anywhere is amazing. And because of the cloud, that, that enables people to basically be more mobile and connected. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, though being connected all the time has its drawbacks as well. Well, and I think we're just starting to see, I think on a personal level or or on a consumer level, I think we've kind of realized the value of this kind of continuous client of, you know, being able to pick up a phone or a tablet and, you know, have this information uh, be available to us, you know, with whatever platform we're on. And certainly Microsoft is, is kind of responding to that kind of idea uh, in a in a really substantive way, in a really interesting way, but I think the 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 next step for that on and we're seeing this in the enterprise for sure is the idea of not just data, but also being able to uh, have a mobility of of like raw computing power in a way that's mm-hmm. that we're still not realizing. I think today on a consumer level, we're starting to see this. I think with what companies are doing with like game streaming, for example, where you need a, you don't really need a high power thing sitting in your entertainment center. You can like just stream it using some really cool compression and low latency connection. And I think we're going to be seeing that in a lot of different uh, applications where, uh, you know, the hardware that you have in your pocket doesn't necessarily dictate what you can do with your device. I think that's really interesting too. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I just started Microsoft eight weeks ago and I'm just getting just to the top layer of what all the offerings Azure has. And the more I dig into them, I'm like, wow. I mean, just just like the IoT, the automation, it, it is amazing what can be done uh, through Azure. And I'm like, that's freaking impressive. AWS has, you know, the same type of concepts and I'm, I'm sure Google Cloud does. It's just amazing what the cloud enables us to uh, to be able to do. And And some may say, you know, we're too connected. I think there there's a balance there. Being connected also enables us to do more and be more innovative as well. All right, and Pumala, where do you see IT going in the next three to five years, kind of near-term future? Three to five years. More cloud. It's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more cloud, more hybrid. Uh, th- those are probably, the, from an enterprise standpoint, Almost everybody would be some 
form of a cloud presence and multiple clouds. That was going to be actually my follow-up. Is, <laughs> is, are, we, are we going to be living – is in five years, is multi-cloud common or are we still achieving it? Do you think multi-cloud is commonplace, I guess, maybe in three to five years? So the definition of multi-cloud. So are we talking SaaS, PaaS, or infrastructure? Because if we're talking about multi-cloud uh, in general, the definition of cloud is having your data in a, a hosting service. So that could be software, that could be platform, and that could be infrastructure. If we're just talking about that, almost every, I'm going to say majority of people are multi-cloud. Because if you have, say, you're, you're running ServiceNow or some other type of hosting services for your ticketing system or your, your change control management, that's cloud. And you're running Office 365, that's cloud. And there are two different platforms. You know, one, one's by Microsoft and another is by another vendor. Uh, let's say you have an app out in AWS that one of your business units has, that's another cloud. And then you're running um, an on-premises environment. That's four different locations for your data. So technically you are multi-cloud. Okay, if you're talking about infrastructure, that, yeah, that's a more deeper conversation because a lot of times people don't go into it thinking, I want to be multi-cloud. It's either inherited now, you know, through acquisition or through testing. And it's like, oh, wait, we tested something out in, you know, AWS and now we made it to production. So now we got to integrate it into our environment. That's been happening a lot as well. That's interesting. I, I had really, in conversation with multi-cloud, I guess I'm looking at it from, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of uh, IT companies that are, you know, selling multi-cloud solutions and, and uh, abstraction layers and that kind of stuff. So that is mostly infrastructure focused. I, and I guess I never considered a, a more, uh, I guess, a democratic way of looking at uh, multi-cloud in terms of, yeah, all the, the, the SaaS and the, the PaaS platforms that you're using. I, I guess th then multi-cloud becomes a less less of a challenge in some ways, you know, where on an infrastructure level, you know, the, you know, you're worried about egress charges and, and kind of more mechanical uh, things like that. So infrastructure, multi-cloud, that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Honestly, three to five years, I, th I think we're just going to be getting to a point where people are comfortable talking about and deploying it successfully because the whole infrastructure portion, that's just, it's complicated. And you've got a lot of moving parts. And then you're also going to still have a, a presence on premises. I mean, there's some organizations that have legacy applications that either they don't want to touch because the person that wrote it is probably no longer living. <laughs> or, you know, it's you got that one person that accesses it like once a year. Or, you know, it's just it's monolithic and just the, the cost and everything to move it. So you're... you're you're going to have that presence there and then getting, you know, to other clouds, it's, it takes time. I mean, just remember when everyone said, Oh, AS400 is dead. AS400 is not dead. It's probably not deployed as much as it used to be 20, you know, 25, 30 years ago, yeah. but it's still alive. There's still organizations that still run AS400. And if you look at the healthcare industry, green screen it you know, it lives on forever <laughs> all, your, all your medical records I, I still think we're going to have that on-premises presence which then multi-cloud is part of because technically it is sort of a, a cloud that's your own cloud and then 
I definitely see organizations thinking about, okay, from a high availability, do I use another cloud provider? Because if you look at it like um, internet providers, remember, you know, when, when the internet was just uh, getting big and everybody was getting internet access and you, you had, you know, your one internet provider and then it was like, oh, wait, you know, somebody uh, ran a backhoe in the wrong spot. <laughs> so do we get a second, you know, a backup provider? And then they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just get a second Comcast line, a Verizon line. Well, that didn't make sense because what if, you know, if you have the same provider and you're in the same ring and the ring goes out, that doesn't really help you, you know, too much. So then they're like, oh, well, maybe we get a different provider or a different type of backup. Yeah, you know, those scenarios came in. So I think when when infrastructure as a service, when that conversation is more comfortable, I think we're going to see people really going, okay, maybe we needed to deploy in different clouds just to protect ourselves. Well, who knows? I could I could be completely wrong too. I mean, you heard about the Azure outage a couple of weeks ago, and people were saying, oh, you know, where's the high availability? You know, and they're they're working on making those corrections. But I think that brought a lot of attention to people where clouds fail. All clouds have some type of failure. I mean, AWS, you know, had the same thing and, and Google has the same thing. So when you plan your architecture for your, your network, your environment, don't design based off the cloud. Design for high availability for you. So if you want to make sure that your uptime is 99, 99999%, you got to look at from how do I ensure I'm up all the time? great that my service provider is giving me all these nines, but there's always that slight chance that something goes down. So how do, how do I design for pure high availability? And, and you, you take all the lo logos and the brandings away and just purely design for high availability. And there, you're probably going to see more multi-cloud deployment from an infrastructure standpoint. That's just my two cents. No, I, I think that's a, a really great perspective on, uh, you know, on, on how to approach that. And, you know, yeah, not just uh, parking at an SLA and just, you know, calling it a day at that point. Yeah, because and that's where it's going to get complicated. So if, if you look at it from pure high availability and you go, OK, I need to have uh, I'm going to use Azure and AWS for my um, my infrastructure. Well, now, OK. Now, now we're talking apples and oranges. How do we make apples and oranges talk? And that's where the, the interoperability between the two clouds comes into play. And then you're going to get, you know, software like Terraform that has the ability to talk into all these different clouds and, and start that automation, that, that workflow. So they, they can work seamlessly throughout. That's basically one ecosystem for you or, you know, one environment, even though it's in multiple locations. All right, and shifting gears a little bit, Pumala, any book recommendations for IT practitioners out there? Um, I don't really have any book recommendations, but I am reading Hit Refresh. I read it last year when it first came out. I loved it. So I'm reading it again as a Microsoft employee now. And I'm reading the employee edition, which has the note that Satya made for the employees. And I, I think it's such a, it's a great book. And to have a, a leader like that, take the time to make notes and references and, and just not, you know, like here, you know, I want you guys to focus on this. It's more like, congratulations. I'm, I'm so proud of my team for, for doing this. And I'm proud of, you know, this group for doing that. It, it's, I think that's really neat. And it's also inspiring 
to read the book. So I encourage people, if you haven't read it yet, to definitely pick up a copy. It's a good read. And of course, The Phoenix Project. (laughs) (laughs) That's a typical one to say, oh, I recommend you reading that. I I read that and I thought it was really good too. You know, I think I, that's been over recommended. <laughs> I used to preface uh, for that question uh, book recommendation besides the Phoenix Project, but yeah. <laughs> I I do feel like there is a value. Like if if that is such a a valuable book to read, who am I to say not to recommend it? And also, oh, um, the IT journey, Melissa Palmer's book on her journey through her uh, her IT journey with a, a VCDX. That's also a good read. I have to do a plug in for Melissa there. Well, excellent. We'll have uh, notes for those uh, in the uh, blog post for this uh, for anybody that wants to check those out and uh, find some easy links to those. So thanks for those recommendations. Appreciate it. And first computer you ever owned? Laser 128. Yeah. All I remember is it was a Laser 128. So I remember. I just remember the box. Yeah. It was supposed to be a a, a generic Apple competitor back then. That's all that my parents could afford. And they actually bought it for my brother, but we had to use it and we played work and trail on it. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> say what you will about it. At least you got to hit the trail. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I remember playing Oregon trail and um, I just remember <laughs> like having to fight with my brother to, to get on the computer so we can play the games. Yeah. Good old days. And then he just like knocked me over in the chair and be like, no, this is mine. <laughs> What a, a lovely, lovely uh, uh, story of, of sibling rivalry. Yes. <laughs> All right. And Pumala, what are you doing when you're not working in IT? I like to drink wine. I think everybody knows that. <laughs> I love my wine. Um, I like to travel. I'm also, I like to garden and I can knit and crochet. I actually find it very peaceful when I do a project that is not technical. It, it's It's amazing. Just the um like you can just sort of let go and and you're not really thinking but you're thinking in a different way so i'm like i'm calculating and and i'm thinking about the different patterns it's a release for me like i can make scarves and blankets and hats all sorts of projects and i'll sit there on the plane and i'll knit (laughs) and i have people like staring at me like what is she doing (laughs) and when i get off the plane i got this scarf i'm like oh look i made a little scarf for myself but it, it's it's a way to relax and just, it, I mean, it's completely different than working in tech. I, I think everyone has those kind of projects that have uh, a defined uh, beginning and end and find those a little cathartic uh, from from maybe the, the ambiguity of work life. Mm-hmm. And it's an accomplishment. Like, look, I, I made a blanket, you know, <laughs> or I mean, I made this hat and I actually wear, I make a hat for myself every year to wear in the winter. And I always lose it. uh, Yeah, and I lose it in the spring, too. So I know that spring is coming (laughs) if I've lost my hat. (laughs) Yeah, if I lost my hat at a bar somewhere, I know spring is coming. All right, well, we talked about a love of wine, but how do you caffeine if you do? Oh, tea. I love my tea. I'm not old enough to drink coffee. That's why I tell everyone. I did coffee for a little bit, mostly mochas, for like a year or two. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to tea. I find the tea is a little healthier. Any particular varietal that you're a fan of? Loose leaf uh, in the bag? Anything, uh, any particulars? I love my green tea. No particular brand. Green tea. I, I know um, the loose kind. Funny story. I was actually interviewing at Microsoft was during my loop. And the building I was in has lo- loose leaf tea. And you have to turn the knob. 
and there was no instructions and I didn't know any better. So I'm turning the knob. I turned it like, you know, several times and I put it in the strainer and I put the hot water in and um, it was a little too strong. <laughs> so, so like halfway through one of my interviews, I just started feeling really sick. Oh my God, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I was getting like <laughs> nauseous and, and but I, I still smiled. I still did the, you know, the interview, but after I was done, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't, and I realized it was the tea. It was like, must have been the caffeine or, or something, but it was just, till this day, I, um, when I think about green jasmine tea, I, I just, uh, my stomach just, just turns. All right. And who would you like to see answer the IT origins questions, uh, in a future interview? Hmm. My boss. Yeah, Rick Claus. Oh, I, th I thought you meant Satya Nadella, and I was like, I think we're oh. going to have problems booking him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're like at the bottom of the list. <laughs> you have to wait a couple years, you know. My team lead, Rick Claus, I, I think it would be great just to, to see his background. Because I, I don't think he has a degree in IT. I think it's in something else. It's actually really cool. And I'd actually like to, you know, to know how he got into IT from not having a computer science major because I I didn't until I went back to school and got a degree. There's actually a lot of people I know that don't have IT degrees that get into IT. So it would be, uh, be interesting to see, uh, you know, hear what, how Rick got into it because now he's my boss at Microsoft, you know, run, running the cloud ops advocate team. And finally, we'll get you out on this question. Any career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Be fearless. Don't be afraid of change. And say maybe. Don't say no. Say maybe. Because no is such a negative word. If you say maybe, or I'll think about it, you there's just there's something about that word that opens your mind up a little bit. You basically haven't shut the door. You, you haven't closed that opportunity, especially if you're talking with end users or the business. Saying maybe al allows you to rethink your thoughts, even though in, internally you may think, oh, I really don't want to do this. But saying maybe allows you to rethink, research, and you may be able to solve a problem for the business, You know, provide a solution. Maybe actually say yes to their request. Saying no is just so negative. It doesn't allow for innovation and doesn't allow for you to have that growth mindset. That is my advice. I always tell everybody, be fearless. Don't fear change. Words of wisdom to finish us out here on IT Origins. Pumla Schmidt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. IT Origins is a production of Gestalt IT. For more IT coverage and interviews, head on over to gestaltit.com.